everybody. Good to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible? Good. If you do, open to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't, grab one. There's one in the pew right in front of you. Open it to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible at all, take that one in the pew, poem, consider it our gift to you, and read it like crazy, right? It's a good day. It's a good day to be here, right? Good day to study God's word with his people and celebrate his love and think about his love and grasp the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of his love for us, which is unfathomable, right? In adult small group Bible study this morning, you spent your time reviewing, discussing, applying the text from last week, and I hope that if you weren't involved in small group Bible study this morning, you'll come back next week and start on this kind of new adventure that we're going to try out for a quarter. It's going to do a couple of things. One is it's going to teach us how to discuss a sermon, how to go a little bit further, a little bit deeper in our discussion and application. And two, it's going to cut down greatly on our time of review in here from week to week. But I do want to spend a little bit of time uh, kind of rising in altitude and and, uh, looking down on Ephesians to see where we are in our study. We have seen Paul now begin to pray for the church at Ephesus for the second time. I told you that this prayer that he is offering really is a transition between the first half of the book, which is largely uh, indicative in its tone. It talks of doctrine and theology. It explains this is who we are in Christ. As Jason read a little while ago, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God raised us up. He brought us to life. He has seated us in the heavenlies with Christ, right? That is who we are. And so Paul had spent a great deal of time talking about that in chapters 1 to 3. In chapters 4 to 6, he's going to spend more time with the imperative voice. He's going to talk more about commands and applications of those great truths, indicatives, then imperatives. And in between, he asks for God's help. He asks God to help us with these things. And he prayed for some big stuff last week, right? It was not little stuff about, oh, help my grandma, she's having surgery, or, oh, so-and-so needs a job. It was big, big stuff that Paul was praying for. Not that those things aren't big, but these things that Paul was praying for are even bigger when he says, oh, God, by your grace, grant us strength in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Let Christ dwell in our hearts, hearts be more and more at home in our hearts. Let us grasp what is the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of his love. These are big things that, God, that Paul is praying for the people at Ephesus. And what you're going to see in the text today is it's a big God he's praying to. It is a God who is able to grant those things and then some. The text today is fantastic. We will smile all day today, right? I, I, th- those times are rare for me. I, I'd rather preach the kind of sermon. But, man, this is one where we will just smile all day, right? And I hope you'll go home with just this big smile. So we practice. You practice. Cheese. You're doing good. So far, so good. All right, look at it. In Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, today we'll spend all of our time in verses 20 and 21. This is what it says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
God, thank you for teaching us how to pray. Over the last few weeks in Ephesians, you have taught us so much. Thank you for teaching us this week what, what your love looks like, what your love feels like, what your love acts like. God, thank you for time together to talk about it more intensely. And God, I thank you for this time that we have together to come before you and to just enjoy and savor your ability, your power, your greatness. God, we know that everything you do, you do for your own glory. That is the chief end. That is the aim that everything is headed towards, your glory. And we want to be people who are seeking your glory. And God, I thank you that as that happens, as you glorify yourself, we glorify you, we receive great benefits. God, I pray today that we will enjoy those benefits, that we will delight and savor your glory, your truth, your presence in this place. God, help us as we study. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot apply your word on on our own as we leave this place. We need your help. We trust that you will help beyond beyond what we expect, beyond what we can imagine by your power. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so right into the text, my translation starts verse 20 with the word now. That word is transitional. It's starting kind of a new idea. I had a basketball coach, the little bit of basketball I played when I was in grade school. I had a basketball coach that would say that word every once in a while. He'd be going on one track, talking about one thing, and then he'd kind of adjust his stance a little bit, kind of go like this, and he'd say, now. And it was like something big is about to happen. We're we're changing direction a little bit. Brace yourself, guys. Something is about to change. And I feel that when I'm reading through Ephesians, especially in this prayer, it seems like Paul is very much concerned about the church, very much asking God to give them these incredible things, strength in the inner man, Christ dwelling in their hearts, filling up with the fullness of God, right, to understand his love. He's saying all these things. And if God were to grant all of that to the church, would they be happy? Would they be well? Yeah, it'd be a good day, wouldn't it? If God granted all of those things for the church, that would be a great day to be in Ephesus. That would be a great day to be a Christian in Ephesus if God were to grant those things. And it seems like up to this point in his prayer, it's all about the church. But what Paul is doing in verse 20 when he says now is he's saying, as much as I want that for you, as much as I'm asking God to give that to you for your benefit, there's a bigger goal at stake here. I'm not just concerned about the church at Ephesus, it seems like he says. In fact, it seems like he says, I'm not even primarily concerned about the church at Ephesus. The primary objective of Paul's prayer is not that the church at Ephesus would receive these things, but that God would receive glory in giving them these things. That makes sense? You got to get that. If that doesn't make sense, we'll spend a whole lot more time there. Because we've got to understand that, that the primary goal of life, the primary end and objective of life is not us. We're not at the center of the universe here. You know that, right? Or did that totally ruin your day? I don't don't want to... We're smiling today, right? I don't want to be the guy that ruins your day. But you're not at the center of God's universe. His world doesn't revolve around you. You're, You're not at the center of it. He's at the center of his universe. His world revolves around him. Everything he does, he does for his own glory. Now, the great thing about that is that as he is working for his own glory, as he's glorifying himself, you and I receive amazing benefits of that right? Salvation is probably the greatest example of this. Why does God save men and women and boys and girls? For his own glory, right? To show the glory of his grace and kindness, to display for the ages the riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, right? That's why he does that, for his own glory. Now, does that mean we don't receive benefits from it? 
No, absolutely we do, and we enjoy those benefits, but make no mistake about it, your salvation is about him. It's not all about you. And if we will accept that, if we will embrace that, if we will learn to cherish that, our lives will be much happier. We don't want God's universe revolving around us. That'd be bad news for us. We want God's universe revolving around him, and we receive benefits from that. So Paul says, I'm changing, I'm changing my tone here. I don't just want good things for the church at Ephesus. I want God to receive glory. This word is transitional when he says now. Look what he says next. He says now to him. To him. In fact, he picks that thought back up after he begins, after he finishes describing who the him is he's talking about. He picks it back up in verse 21. Look what he says. To him be glory in the church. You see what I'm talking about? That's the that's the emphasis of his prayer. Not just God give the church these things that they need. God give the church these things that they desire. Give the church these things they don't have. But God be glorified in the church. That should be our heart's cry. That should be our greatest desire as well. Then he begins to describe the him to whom he's speaking. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. There is an incredible progression of thought here that we need today to see. We, we, need, we need to understand it. We need to grasp it. And one of the goals today is we just want to enjoy it. We want to see it, we want to savor it, we want to understand it, we want to delight in it, we want to just cherish it. You know, I've talked to you guys about Bitto Honey before, remember that? You like Bitto Honey, candy, Bitto Honey? You like those? You can't eat them fast, right? you got to eat them really slow, you got to chew on them a little while, you got to suck on them a little while, you can't just swallow a Bitto Honey. That would be pointless, wouldn't it? You could, you could probably do it. That wouldn't be any fun, would it? No, we want to savor the bit of honey, and that's what we want to do with this text today. We want to understand it, and we just want to delight in it. There is some incredible, incredible progression happening here. Look at the first point. We'll have to rearrange the sentence a little bit to get the structure, but the first point that Paul makes is this. He says, to him who is able to do. To him who is able to do. That seems to be the, the beginning point of all of this. To him who is able to do. And I don't want you to think that that's not a big deal. Because to speak about a God who is able to do something is huge. It is absolutely huge. In fact, the Bible seems to say that's what separates our God from the rest of the gods of the world. That's what separates the true God of the Bible from the idols of the world. Our God is able to do. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Amen? Sing about that a minute ago. It is a big deal that our God is able. Turn to Psalm 135 and listen to this. Some trash talking about idols. I love this. The Old Testament is full of it. Trash talking about the idols. Psalm 135, verse 15. Remember, we're talking here about our God is able to do. To him who is able to do something, anything separates him from the other gods of the world, the idols of the world. Look at verse um, 15, 135, 15. It says, the idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands, right? Yeah, they are, silver and gold, some man made them. He says, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. There, nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. I like that, don't you? Look at these look, look at these idols of the world. Some man made them with his hands. They got ears, but they can't hear anything. They've got mouths, but they can't say anything. They've got nostrils, but they don't breathe, right? What are they? They're nothing. 
They're nothing but our God. Our God hears, sees, knows. He does, right? One of the best examples of this, my favorite example of this, is in 1 Kings with the uh, prophets of Baal and Elijah. Do you remember that story? Elijah basically challenges the prophets of Baal. He says, all right, get you, get you a cow. Get you a cow and, and set up a sacrifice. And I'll get one and set up a sacrifice. And we will both call out to our gods. You guys, all of you, hundreds of you, you call out to Baal and see if he answers. And I alone, the prophet of God who is left, I will call out to our God. And whichever God answers, that's the one who's the true God. You remember this? You remember how it went? And he said, you go first, prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal, they, they killed their cow and they set up the altar. And then they begin to call out to Baal. Do you remember this? And they're leaping around and they're dancing around. And they're screaming out to Baal. And what happens? What happens? Nothing. Because Baal cannot do. Our God is able to do. Baal cannot do. They cry out and they gash themselves and they rave and they go on and on and on. And then Elijah steps up and he says, hey, hey, maybe you should talk a little louder. Right? I love this part. Maybe you should say a little loud. Maybe he can't hear you. Oh, maybe he's gone on vacation, right? Maybe he's asleep. He says at one point, maybe he's asleep. The best part of the whole thing is at one point, literally says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe, maybe Baal's in the bathroom and that's why he can't answer. I want to be that guy, right? I want to be that guy that says, my God is real. My God is able to do. And the gods of this world, the idols of this world are nothing. They are made of man's hands. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They cannot do. But our God can do. And that's who Paul is calling out to. The first fundamental point here is to him who is able to do. And if that, if that was all he said, that'd be enough, wouldn't it? If that was it, if we just went to a God who is able to do, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Satisfying to you? Yeah, it would be to me. He is able to do, and we praise him for that. The question for us today is, what has he done in your life? Has he done anything in your life? Yeah? A thing or two? He's done it, and, and no one else can take credit for it? Absolutely. What should you do when God does something like that in your life? Yeah, we should praise him. We should say thank you. What else? Tell somebody about it, right? Tell somebody about what he's done. This is what my God did. What has your God done lately? Nothing. Nothing unless it's the God of the Bible. He's the one who does. Okay? You with me? So point number one is to him who is able to do. What has he done in your life? Tell somebody about it. But it goes on and it progresses. He says to him who is able to do all we ask. He is able to do all we ask. This is incredible, right? And it implies relationship. He loves it. He loves it when we come to him and we ask of him. He loves when we ask. He cares about us. He made the way for us to have a relationship with him. Paul says he's his father. He's our father, right? Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our father who is in heaven. He is able to do all we ask. And it's incredible that we would have access to God to ask him anything, right? That's a privilege, isn't it? Does God have to allow us to come to him and ask him anything? No, but he opens up the door and he says, come, ask. In fact, sometimes he says, you don't have because you don't ask. Parents, you know how to relate to this, right? Do you like it when your kids ask you for things? Sometimes. Depends on what they're asking for, right? I have a couple of children who will ask and ask and ask and ask until finally I just give up and say, all right, have it, whatever. Just leave me alone. If that's what it takes, leave me alone. No, we don't ever do that, do we? Do you? You know what I really like? I really like when my kids come to me and they ask me for what they absolutely need. 
Dad, Dad, can we have supper tonight? Will, will you give us supper tonight? I really like that. We, they don't often have to ask for it, but I like when they ask me for the things that they absolutely need because that's one of my jobs as their father is to give them what they need, right? To provide for them their basic necessities. But I also like it when they come to me and ask me for something they don't need, something they just want, because I delight in providing those things as well. To see the smile on their face, not when I give them a plate of food for supper, but when I give them a present that they clearly don't deserve and that I'm not obligated to give them. I love to see them smile, and I think God is the same way. He is a God who is able to do all we ask. So ask. If that's true, if Paul is right, and I I think he is, do you? If Paul is right, then we should ask him, right? We should go to him and ask him. But then he takes it a step further. So number one, he says, to him who is able to do. Secondly, he says, to him who is able to do all we ask. Then he says, to him who is able to do all we ask or think. This is incredible, right? Not only is he able to do what we ask, he's able to do the things that we're too embarrassed or not bold enough to ask about, but things are going on in our hearts. He knows even our thoughts. He knows even our hearts. He's able to do those things and be aware of those things before we're able to mention them. This is incredible, is it not? And a little bit scary. That he knows my thoughts. He knows my heart's desire. He knows the things that I'm embarrassed to ask him for. He's already aware of those things. What a relationship and what love he has for us. He knows our hearts. He knows our needs before we can even say them. So he says, to him who is able to do, to him who is able to do all we ask, to him who is able to do all we ask or even think. Then he says this, to him who is able to do more than we ask or think. One scholar said it this way, God's expectations are higher than ours. Don't you love that? That not only is he able to do what we ask or think, he is able to do more than we ask or think. Some of us are pretty creative, aren't we? (laughs) Some of us have great imaginations. And what this teaches us is that God is able to do more than we can imagine. And in fact, some of your texts translate it that way. Not just what we ask or think, but what we ask or imagine. And God is able to do more than that. Do you believe that? Maybe the better question is, do you believe that? Not, not just can you believe that, but do you believe this stuff? I want us to get this. I want us to understand this is what the text says, but I want us to delight in it as well. How often we underestimate God's ability. How often we underestimate his ability. He is able to do more than we ask or think. But then he kicks it up another notch. Look what he says next. Not only is he able to do, he's able to do all we ask. He's able to do all we ask or think. He's able to do more than we ask or think. He says next, he is able to do much more than we ask or think. Much more. He's going to continue to escalate this. God is able not just to do more than we ask or think. He's able to do much more than we ask or think. And this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because we've, we've spoken recently about his riches about God's riches and grace and kindness toward us, about his riches and mercy, about his riches and glory, about his great love. How, how rich is God? Limitlessly rich, right? Infinitely rich. And he is therefore able to do much more than what we could ask or think. But then he takes it another step further and he says this, to him who is able to do very much more than we ask or think. This is another weird word like we talked about a few weeks ago. Do you remember when Paul says that he is least than the le- that he is less than the least? That doesn't make any sense in English. You can't be less than the least. If you're less than the least, then you are the least, right? He like makes up this word. Do you remember what that word was? Leaster. Yeah. 
Leaster, that's exactly right. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't make any sense grammatically, but theologically it's dynamite. Paul says he is the leaster. Well, he does the same thing here, only he says not only is God able to do more than you can imagine, more than all you can imagine, he says he's able to do more than more than all. More than more than all. Moster. Mostest. Morest. That's what he's able to do. Right? Read it in the text the way, the way it translates here. It says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond. Far more abundantly beyond. This is incredible. God is able to do far morest, moster, mostest beyond. All that we could even imagine. Not just the things we can speak with our mouths, but the things that go beyond words to our imagination. He's able to do infinitely more than that. Ha ha. This is incredible. Paul asked for that, did he not? He is saying, God, you're able to do this. And Paul just made a request that goes beyond what we can imagine or think. Notice he said that Christ would dwell in us by faith. That we would be able to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He's made a request of God that goes beyond. And he says, and God, you're able. You're able to go beyond. You're able to do what is beyond, and then beyond that again, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. And he, and he loves us. He loves us. And he is able. Do you get that? Do you get that God is able to do very much more than we ask or think? Do you get that? Chew on that for a minute and enjoy it. He's able to do that. And not only is he able, he says, come, ask, ask, come to me. Pour out your heart, cast your cares, come to me. I love you. I'm your father. And I got all the power, all the power to do what you need. And is not this our experience? Have we not experienced practically God being able to do more than we ask, more than we could imagine? Have you experienced that in your life? You go to him maybe and you express, God, I want this, I need this. And you go to him and you go to him and you trust his goodness and you trust his grace and you trust his wisdom. And eventually he answers that prayer, maybe in a way you couldn't imagine, but it goes beyond what you could imagine. What you had thought of initially, he answered in a way that eclipsed that and went way beyond it. I heard a story this week of a family in this church who the husband had lost his job, man, a long time ago. A while back, and we've been praying and praying and praying that he would get a job, and it hadn't happened, and it hadn't happened, and it hadn't happened. And I got word last week that he got a job. Whoop to that, right? And not only did he get a job, he got a day shift job. Ha! That pays more than his job before paid. God did more than anyone was asking, anyone was expecting. God answered, and he did more. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. It doesn't always work like that, okay? Sometimes he goes a completely different route. Sometimes you go to him and you ask and you ask and he answers, but he takes you a completely different route. But in the end, it turns out better than you could have imagined. Have you experienced that? That you went to God and said, God, this is what I desire. This is what I need. This is what I want. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you something totally different. And then you realize that was better than what you thought. You know what that reveals? That reveals the wisdom of God. If he had given just what you asked for, it wouldn't have been all that you could have had. 
it wouldn't have been all that he could have given. And so he went a different direction and gave you something different. And sometimes, sometimes that's a tough route. Sometimes that different path is tough, but more glorious. Tough, but better. So be prepared for that. Don't hear me say that if you just ask God for a job, he's going to give you a better job. You may ask God for a job and he makes you deathly sick. He teaches you to depend on him more, trust him more, and expand your ministry because of that. Maybe that's what happens. But I'm telling you, he is able to do more, far more, most or more than you could ever even imagine or think or ask. He's able, right? That's good. I hope you chew on that all day today. Next, look what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Oh, this, this takes it up another notch, does it not? Not only is God able to do all of that, not only does he possess that power and that ability, notice here that that power is at work within us, right? What is the greatest demonstration of God's power that we have ever known? What's the greatest demonstration of God's power that we have ever known? Well, we could say creation, right? He created all things. He spoke things into existence. He said light and there was light. He said darkness and there was darkness, right? He said mountains and there were mountains, fish and there were fish, all of those things. That's incredible power, is it not? Pretty big power. He delivered people from slavery and oppression. He parted the Red Sea. That's power. But the greatest demonstration, demonstration of God's power is the resurrection. It's what you need to know. It's what you need to know. Resurrection is the greatest demonstration of God's power. He has power over death, and he raises, he raises Christ to life. He demonstrates his power in that he raises Jesus from the dead. Not only does he raise him from the dead, he raises him up to the heavenlies. And not only does he raise him up to the heavenlies, he seats him on the throne with everything else being in subjection to him. Do you remember this, chapter 2? That power to raise Jesus from the dead, raise him up, and seat him with all things in subjection to him. He says it's that power that is at work within us. Resurrection power, Holy Spirit power at work within us. You know that? You know that? Our God is able to do all of these things, and he does them according, look what the text says, he does them according to the power that works within us. This is not some just far-off force that we have a relationship with and access with. No, God dwells within us. His power, his fullness, that's what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. His power at work within us. Glorious, glorious truth. And then look what he says. He gets to the heart of it all. Look at verse 21. To him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. Again, this is the ultimate goal of everything. This should be the focus of our prayers. God, heal. God, heal for your own glory. God, teach us for your own glory. God, save for your own glory. God, help for your own glory. Whatever your prayer is, the ultimate end of it should be his glory because his ultimate goal in answering those prayers is his glory, not your good. Your good is a byproduct of his glory. You need to nail that down in your own heart. You'll, you'll suffer a lot fewer disappointments that way. His glory is your ultimate good. Heal for your glory. Teach for your glory. Remember, we are not the center of God's universe. He is. Notice next what he says. To him be glory in the church. Paul is praying here that the church might be the sphere 
in which God's glory is put on display. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. He wants God to be glorified in the church. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Peter speaking to the church says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Right? You catch that? He's speaking there about the transition that has taken place by God's grace. You were not a people, now you're the people of God. You were without mercy, now you have received mercy. And why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's our role. That's our job. That's our joy. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. You want to know how excellent he is? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that I could ask or think. He is incredible, powerful, and gracious. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That is, this is not a snapshot of glory. This is eternal glory. God being glorified in the church. God being glorified in Christ throughout all generations, even beyond death, forever and ever. And then he closes with this fantastic word, amen. Except for the other night, one of the kids said, what's the difference between amen and amen? There's no difference, right? I didn't lead them astray there, did I? Amen's just fancy for amen. You know what that word means? You know why we close our prayers with that? It means verily, truly, uh, right on. Let it be. I told you about my friend in Mississippi, a little bitty guy who would often, while I'm preaching, say, that's right. Remember that? That's right. You know what he was saying there? Mississippi's for amen. This is Mississippi translation of amen. That's right, that's right. And, and Paul says this at the end. He says, after he says, God grant by your grace all of these things, that they would grow, that they would move forward, that they would grasp the height and the width and the depth and the breadth and all of those things, that they would know what surpasses knowledge. And you're able to do it. You're able to do it because you're able to do beyond what we can imagine, even way beyond that. And he says, to you be glory forever and ever in the church and in Christ Jesus. And then he says, oh, let it be. Let it be. Let it be. And I think all the people in Ephesus at that point would have said, amen. It is good to say amen occasionally. And it's okay around here to say amen occasionally. Paul has just laid all of this out with joy and wonder. And the people and our hearts should respond with, yes, that's right. Let it be. Amen. Listen to the prayer one more time and then we'll talk about application. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think,
according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May that be the case here at First Baptist Church. Three applications today. Number one, we need to see and savor this. We need to know and enjoy this. We need to remember on the one hand and testify about the times we have seen God work beyond beyond what we could ask or think. We need to remember those times. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe if you're here today and you're a Christian, you should remember that. Because you, you went to him in your great need under conviction of your sin and you asked him for forgiveness and eternal life. And he's given you way more than that, has he not? He's given you way more than just an escape from wrath. He's given you new life and new hope and new attitude and new joy and new wonder. He has given you more than you could have ever imagined. You know that, right? And you need to tell somebody. So one is remember and testify. Two is be encouraged and ask. You cannot ask for too much. You cannot ask for too much. It seems like Paul has asked for too much in this prayer. He says, God, fill them up to all the fullness of God. Fill them up with all of your fullness. Let them know what surpasses knowledge. It seems like his request is too far, but you cannot ask for too much. And as you're asking for much and more and beyond, you need to remember that he's good. And however he answers that prayer is best, right? He may give you a new job on the day shift with more pay. Or he may take you down a difficult road to get you to an even better place. An even better place, an even more glorious place. You need to trust his goodness no matter what. Application number two is that everything happens for his glory. We've got to remember that it's not for us. I think a lot of us have turned God into an idolater, as if God worships us, as if God's whole world is focused on us. No, God's whole world is focused on him, and he works in our lives for his own glory. And if we will get ourselves out of the center and him into the center, we will be much more satisfied and much happier and full of joy, because we will know that everything that happens with us is happening for his glory, not just for us. And his glory is our good. We need to understand that. And application number three is just the delight in this relationship. That, that the God who is able to do beyond, exceedingly abundantly beyond, he loves us and invites us into his presence question is, do you have that relationship? Can you go to him with confidence and faith? Do you know him at all? Have you come to a point where you realize your sin? The conviction of that sin. You know the reality of judgment upon you because of your sin. You feel the weight of wrath that you deserve. And then you see this amazing, amazing story. This amazing truth that God loves you. Even when you're a sinner, even when you're a sinner, God loves you. And he demonstrates that love by sending his son to die in your place. And you repent of your sins. And you trust in him, depend on him, believe in him for your salvation. That's, that's how you have a relationship with him. It's not about doing. It's not about working. It's not about coming to church. It's about trusting in him. Do you have that relationship with him? If you don't, come forward this morning. I'd love to talk to you more about it. If you do, man, enjoy that. Know that you have access to the one who has all the power and beyond all the power. Let's stand together and pray.
God, we are amazed in your presence that you are the one who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God, help us to know that. As your people, help us to know that. Help us to savor it and enjoy it. Help us to remember examples in our lives and to testify about those. Help us to be encouraged in this moment to come before you and ask. Help us to trust your goodness, your wisdom in all things. Help us to see that what you do, you do for your own glory. God, I pray that our highest aim will be your highest aim, the glory of your name, glory in the church, glory in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. God, I pray that our heart's desire will be your heart's desire and that we will always seek your glory and not our own. And God, I thank you for this incredible relationship that we can know you, that we can come to you in prayer with confidence, come into your presence in praise, adoration, worship. But God, I know there are people who in this room cannot. They don't know you. They don't have relationship with you. There is no confidence in their life. God, I pray that you will today do what only you can do and convict them of sin, show them the reality of judgment against their sin, and then turn their eyes to see Christ on the cross for them, dying as their substitute, rising as their justification, victorious over sin and death and hell, and giving them life by grace through faith. God, I pray that men and women and boys and girls in this room today will believe and trust in Jesus for salvation, that they will repent of sins and turn toward you in righteousness. And that you, God, will get the glory as they get the good, that it will be for your namesake. In Christ's name we pray.